thrilled to have you all here today. Um, in order to properly introduce Amy, I actually have to go back a little bit in my own life because, not because it's all about me, but to give her proper context. Um, so about, uh, oh, say 2009 or so, along with um, our friends Ethan Zuckerman uh, and Mike Best and Catherine Bracey, we found ourselves um, at the um, request of the MacArthur Foundation in Nigeria working with civil society organizations on information and communication technology. So stuff that is kind of the bread and butter of the Berkman Center, which is to say working with these groups um, to understand and leverage technology to achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve in this really remarkable place that is Nigeria. So it was, um, uh, uh, let's just, I mean, it, it was unintentional uh, what, it, what happened next. So Nigeria, um, for those of you who may or may be less familiar, is, um, as you can see by some of these, a really, uh, it's, it's an important place within Africa. Uh, largest um, sub-Saharan sub African country, um, among the world's top uh, oil exporters, um, hugely dynamic um, uh, marketplace and economy that really drives a lot of Western Africa, um, all kinds of social challenges from unemployment uh, to health, uh, infant mortality, um, population growth, um, social tensions which have flared in recent years, um, uh, a tremendous amount of poverty, a really youthful population um, with the median age being about 18. Um, also growing ICT infrastructure, fair amount of internet penetration, about 30%, which is low for us, but higher for, for our country with the rest of these statistics. Um, and a real diverse place, often called the United States of Africa, over 500 languages spoken, huge amount of uh, social, ethnic, religious diversity in a relatively small uh, space. Um, and, uh, and it has this thing called Nollywood. Um, so there we are, um, doing, working with these civil society organizations, and Mike and Ethan and, and Catherine and I are like, but this is Nigeria. There's this amazing phenomenon called Nollywood, uh, and we want to know more about it. What is the story? How, how is there this film industry um, which has achieved uh, global recognition coming out of a country that looks like this, that is this poor, um, that is this disconnected in, in some respects, um, that doesn't seem like it could support an industry? How could it be the arguably the third largest film industry in the world. And so we basically hung out a shingle and said, hey, we're interested in learning and found ourselves in a very awkward position where we were actually asked to um, explain uh, what was happening there and explain a little bit of some of the, t uh, explain a little bit about the sort of technology options that the Nigerian film industry had to combat piracy. Now that, of course, was not the thing that any of us wanted to do. That's how we found us ourselves in this very awkward position with all these filmmakers, movie stars, uh, producers, uh, agents, and so on. And our conclusion was, well, one, we want to be in Nollywood films, and uh, two, uh, this is a really interesting place, and we want to learn more about it. Um, and that brought us um, back, and me very fortunately, to Amy Corgan, who I think at the time was just wrapping up at BU or BC? BU. At BU, um, but had a long um, background in uh, film and media, uh, including being an independent filmmaker, um, photographer, uh, and so on, and had, um, with our friend Franco Sachi, um, made um, <clears throat> a film called This Is Nollywood. Um, so we were, you know, we we're kind of coming back knowing just a little teeny bit about Nigeria, a little bit about the film industry, um, had experienced a bit of Lagos, which is this kind of remarkable 20 million plus um, uh, megalopolis, 
that uh, in addition to having all of the downsides that the megalopoli have, like traffic jams that are sort of otherworldly, also has a thriving fashion industry, amazing comedy scene, and a, a tremendous um, music catalog stretching from now way back. Wayne could probably tell us more about it. For 50 or more years, you heard some on the way in. Um, but just a really richly uh, vibrant place, both in the capital, but also in the rest of the country. So we were sort of smitten, um, had the great good fortune to bump into Amy and share um, some of our enthusiasm, um, who had been, uh, since her time uh, making this documentary film with Franco uh, and Bob Capuccio and others, um, had started uh, this remarkable um, set of projects around doing trainings and working in Nigeria. Um, so. She was basically, um, we, we came in kind of interested, but unknowledgeable generally. I mean, knowledgeable generally, but not specifically about Nigeria. We came in to someone who knew a lot on the ground about Nigeria. And there was sort of in my, um, <clears throat> from my, my side, uh, and from those of our the kind of Berkman collaborators, it was kind of a match made in heaven to find someone so um, wonderful and knowledgeable and uh, such an easy collaborator. So since then, we've been working together. And what I actually wanted her to do is sort of begin, kind of ease into the Amy side and tell us a little of how you got here, and then we'll kind of dive into Nollywood. Well, thank you for the great introduction. And I think I should sit, because I'm not mic'd. But hi, everyone, and thanks for coming to this talk. Um, like Colin said, I was first introduced to the wonderful world of Nollywood back in 2005 in the production of a documentary film called This is Nollywood, directed by Franco Saki and another filmmaker, Bob Caputo. We were all based at Boston University's Center of Digital Imaging Arts at the time, and we were looking for a story about how digital video had transformed storytelling around the world. And we didn't have to look much further than the phenomenon that is Nollywood that in a period of two decades rose to be a competitor in the top three film industries in the world, giving India's Bollywood a run for its money as the world's largest producer of feature films. Um, our journey in Nollywood started in the production of this documentary. We set out to work with a prestigious filmmaker named Bond Emerua as he shot an action movie for a budget of $20,000 under three weeks. Bond's film went on to be one of the top films of the year. Uh, our documentary documented his journey, and I think his profits quadrupled ours. And that's when we realized that Nollywood was an industry enviable to independent filmmakers all around the world. We, they were using tools, cameras, techniques very similar to the independent film industry in the U.S. for similar budgets, but reaching an audience that any filmmaker in the world would envy. So that gives you a little overview of what we cared about and what inspired us so much. We became fast friends with filmmakers in Nollywood and started getting interested in not only co-productions, but also training. Because right away it became clear that there was a void in Nollywood. While there was access to high quality tools to make films, there was uh, absence of training. So our team formed an organization called Nollywood Workshops that would focus on providing training, high-end technical training to practitioners, uh, and also explore film production. Um, and we've grown from there. Just to give you a little bit of an overview on the industry as it stands, um, the average Nollywood film reaches 10 million people inside Nigeria and 8 million outside. Now, these numbers are, as it says here, from certainly credible sources, but for demonstration purposes only. Mm -hmm. Now, that's because, and we'll get into this 
later, but one of Nollywood's biggest challenges is that it's an informal grassroots industry predominantly distributing DVDs. That means there's an absence of a box office to get uh, concrete numbers on how these films are being distributed. That said, um, we know that the film industry produces about 1,500 films per year, um, is the second largest employer in the country, uh, and hits revenue up to 250 million per year which is phenomenal for a grassroots self-financed industry in Nigeria. What am I missing so far, Colin? Go. So I shared a little bit about our experience on the production of This Is Nollywood, where we went inside to the production of a Nigerian film. But just to share a little bit more, these films are produced for about $50,000 with um, accessible tools um, the genres range from drama, love, comedy, action. Um, but the most interesting thing about the industry, when you look at Hollywood, Bollywood, and Nollywood side by side, is that Nigeria is 90% DVD market. Filmmakers shoot the films, distribute straight to DVD, and then distribute them through market stalls and vendors all across the region. It's a distribution system that rivals anything we've seen anywhere else in the world. Um, now, filmmakers today are expanding into other areas of distribution, cinema, theatrical, TV, online, which we'll get into later. But Nollywood's magic was being able to harness available digital technology and distribute straight to an audience that would devour the films. Nollywood has an incredible star system um, that dominates the African entertainment scene. It's really the rise of these stars, I think, that have catapulted Nollywood films into um, success across the continent. Um, when we talk to fans and Nollywood aficionados, they say, despite some of the technical challenges in a Nollywood film, despite a low-budget production aesthetic, it's the fact that there are stars that they can relate to, stories that resemble their lives and stars that aren't Tom Hanks or Julia Roberts or George Clooney, but Genevieve or Desmond or Funky. Um, brands have harnessed on to these stars and recognized that a Nigerian or Nollywood celebrity endorsement can take a mobile company further than any Hollywood endorsement. Um, the African Movie Awards has exploded into the entertainment sector in Africa and honors these stars year after year. Um, so when you take Nollywood's unique DVD distribution as well as its ability to harness uh, authentic, diverse star power, you start to tap into the magic that is this film industry. Um, did I miss anything on the overview here? No, keep going. Because now that we're starting to get a feel for the passion and the and the scope of the industry, we thought it would be nice to show you some trailers so you can get into the feeling of Nollywood. I, I think I made it clear so far that Nollywood started as a low-budget grassroots industry. That means that while the, you might find great stories and an entirely Nigerian feel, the technical quality of Nollywood films has been criticized. So while it's celebrated for its vast distribution and
great success. It's the it's the technical where there's some room. And just and one comment on that: there aren't any studios in Nigeria, so everything is shot on location, and that means, and that's something that comes through very clearly in uh, in Franco and Amy's documentary. Just that you're dealing with the challenges of lighting and sound in a way that we don't have to deal with typically here in the in the U.S. film industry, which which really and and then if you pair that with sort of a training deficit, you end up and, and post-production deficits, you end up with real challenges in terms of the elements of quality that make it harder to screen in the theater. If there are theaters, of course, in Nigeria, there aren't very many theaters. But so that you can see a whole set of cascading challenges. So what we'll do right now is we'll show you a few trailers for popular, successful Nigerian films made in the past couple years. And you'll see a range between uh, low budget and higher budget, lower quality, higher quality. But we just want to give you a feel for the type of films we're talking about so you can start to feel the knowledge. English, uh, Igbo, Yoruba, uh, uh, Hausa. The majority of the films are in English. Um, language films are subtitled into English or dubbed into English, depending on the region where they're produced. But that's another, it's a great question. Thanks for bringing it up. But because these films are predominantly English, that's something that's allowed them to transcend other borders. It depends on the film. Um, and just one other thing, just one other note. So we're using the term Nollywood, which traditionally has been a uh, reference a certain film industry, sort of the Lagosian film industry, rather than Connywood, which is the Hausa film industry in the north, um, um, or the Yorba film industry, which is not English uh, in Yorba. Um, so, but in much as you've seen in India with Bollywood, um, increasingly Nollywood is used to describe the Nigerian industry as a as a whole, and that's sort of. In Bollywood is really only about one-sixth of the Indian film industry because you have other kinds of regional film industries, same in Nigeria, but they're also recognizing that you know you kind of got to go with what you have. Right. <clears throat> so this is a film called Bursting Out. It was made by a prolific filmmaker named M.M.E. Song. I'll show you the trailer. This is, film was probably made for about $50,000 and was extremely successful in the DVD market. Hello, Angel. It must be Sarah Williams. If it's the last thing I do, I will find you a husband. Your friend suggested you. So I'm here to find out how right. All wrong she is. Sorry to cut you, but I need to use the bathroom. I didn't know. I came highly recommended though. When I'm ready, I will find me a man. Now life. His name is Tyrone. Fate brought us together. I ride. And I play football. Tyro, you don't know Ibere. Do you know Ibere? Do you know how you make me feel? You don't stop that rubbish. I'm sick, Amy. He's a dispatch rider, not a criminal. Stay close to me, Melissa. I tell you, I swear I will kill you. I give you my heart, I give you my love, my trust. I'll get you another man in no time. It's not just about any man, it's about this man. Mistaken. Find your own.
What's there to love about him? Everything. That's bursting out, and we selected that to show you today because it embodies a lot of the classic Nollywood dynamics. You have a superstar, Genevieve Nija, who can sell almost any film. You've got um, a dramatic, dialogue-heavy plotline that is mostly shot in manageable locations, which allows filmmakers to keep the budget down, the production quick, and the output a quick turnaround. Um, the film did extraordinarily well, but was limited only to DVD release. But, and the director is a woman, a, a director who has gone on to become an executive producer for a number of films and supports other women in the industry. What's the genre that would apply here, and, and do the genres resemble what we understand to be genres? In yes, definitely. Great question. That would be in the drama or romantic drama genre. Do those, are the genres pretty much, are, are they taking a page from the Hollywood standard or are genres shifting and? You might say that, but you know, Nigeria has an incredibly rich theatrical tradition. Mm -hmm. So some of the scripts and the films that emerge take after the um, Yoruba theater tradition, mm -hmm. um, which are heavy on romantic and dramatic themes. Now, in what we're calling the new Nollywood, which we'll take a look at later, you're starting to see more action, sci-fi, adventure genres that um, leverage special effects and post-production techniques. But the original Nollywood genres were um, storylines that allowed themselves to be shot on low budgets with uh, the constraints. And, and that, that really privileges, that, that, that means you totally are depending on almost instantaneous recognition on the part of your audience, right? That, that you, you, can't, you can't create an architecture or narrative that's difficult or under those circumstances, you want instantaneous comprehension from your audience, correct? So you're working with existing genres. Right, and that's, you just nailed the number one defense of Nollywood aesthetics when um, traditional filmmakers are criticized for low production values or predictability in their storytelling, they might turn around to an independent American filmmaker and say, well, how many copies did you sell? <laughs> because these are the movies that continue to be blockbusters. Or they can just say, Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on trailers, unless there are any questions about the one we just saw. I want to show you a trailer from a film called Mommy, which is um, also can be considered a low-budget production produced by a filmmaker named Tundi Kalani, who is probably the most esteemed filmmaker in Nigeria. He comes from the Yoruba tradition um, and originally started making films in Yoruba language, um, changed into English, an English-Yoruba mix, and you'll see subtitles here. Um, but he while leveraging um, available technologies and new distribution techniques, feels his pr predominant audience is a local Yoruba, Yoruba audience, but he's trying to tell stories that will appeal to a global audience as well. <laughs> Je 
can be funny look around you and tell me what to see yaki show me up baba ma janje ya ope pade mi ni gugbala ma pinje ba pelu e ja showa i think about those so like that sit there imagine oh mama go pita all day she's to come play the last but then my boy look at me at move by away Yes, tell the Secretary General to book my flight to SA, first class. That's mommy. An interesting thing about this film, and we'll touch upon the piracy issue in Nollywood later, um, Tunde Kalani found that so much of his potential profits were being absorbed by the piracy of his DVDs that for this film he released exclusively to um, community cinemas and theatrical events that he produced, private screenings, traveling for the first year of the film then he released to theatrical to try and recoup some of his production's costs before going into the DVD market, which is really unique for filmmakers in Nigeria. Question? As opposed to film? Yes. And so is post-production, because there's no studios, generally just done on laptops? Because I've noticed there's like a limited number of techniques used in editing and special effects. That's that, exactly right. And yeah? Franco, feel free to weigh in here. The Nollywood film industry started on digital and has been digital ever since. Right. Um, so filmmakers edit on Final Cut Pro, um, Adobe Premiere, or Avid on you know, laptops or desktops. Um, Self-taught, most likely, with um, tutorials online. And so editing looks much like it looks in the independent film industry here in the U.S. There's no film schools there? No, and that's something we're working on. <laughs> Great Thanks. segue. I just had that the laptops now that are faster, they're really changing because uh, when we were there, primarily they could edit on desktop. And you have no idea because of the power outages that they were frying computer and uh, hard drives, they would go through incredible um, efforts. They Basically, they would output the movie every night just to have something, a cut, and they sometimes would re-bring in digitally the output and cut from there because they would lose hard drive after hard drive. It's really hard what they do, and, and you know, we have a scene where, you know, they have to basically put gasoline in the generator to start a generator and power the computer. So, yeah. There was a question? Yeah. Is there any rating agency? Like the R or X rated or anything like that? Yes, um, that's an excellent question. There's a Nigerian Video Film and Censors Board, which rates and censors every film. And a story I always like to share is the movie that we documented the making of. It was called Checkpoint, and it was an anti-corruption story. The Censors Board came out with saying, 
the best film we've ever censored. Yeah. Uh, so they're heavily involved with every film that gets released. And Colin touched upon the fact that Nollywood has become the umbrella term for um, Nollywood, um, the house of film industry, Connywood, and the local language, Yoruba film industry. Each of those has sort of different censorship rules. So a film that's allowed to be released in the South um, the Igbo language films and the English films tend to be um, much more liberal, a uh, little bit more flexible in terms of their use of profanity or nudity, whereas the films coming from a more conservative and Muslim North are uh, rated more strictly. Ivan? Hi, Ivan. Are there de um, developing film industries like the Hong Kong industry or obviously Bollywood or some of the Eastern European cinema scenes that have has started locally and then morphed into global audiences. Mm -hmm. Have you what it, have we started to see co-productions yeah. that are intended for a larger global audience that have different production values? Yes, in fact, I'd like to show you a trailer of one right now. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you want to get in before she does? Yeah. <laughs> it was not a plan. <laughs> My question was based off the themes of the um, I think more with um, maybe nonfiction, it would come into more politics mm -hmm. to avoid certain kinds of censorship. If you know, are they are they, you know, if maybe your your uh, Yoruba, you know, that's part of your culture, but would you maybe go to the other one? How's that? Do you want to have a release of that? Does it matter? Basically, can you work the censor board depending on where yeah. you want it? I mean, to so go to the one that you plan ahead so yeah. that you can get your message out. Uh, that's a great strategy, and I think, um, you know, if you are trying to release to an audience that is comfortable with the themes in your movie, you might determine your strategy based on on that way. The, the guidelines for each censor board are pretty um, clear. If it's a film that's going to have any sort of controversial scene, the only way it would get released is in the South. Just as a one, and a, a slight aside, the most recent, you were mentioning documentary filmmaking. Um, <clears throat> so recently, uh, an, uh, a film that deals with um, corruption and oil revenues, um, a half an hour documentary, um, was not approved by the censor board. And all of the, I think all of the television stations refused to run it as well. Um, but interestingly, that drove the, the recognition of that mm -hmm. particular film. And if you look at the YouTube views, I, don't, I haven't looked at it lately, but just through the roof, right? So everyone wanted to see it. They got far more exposure than they ever would have gotten. Uh, now, I, I don't know about the local international breakdown, right? But they got far more exposure be, pre precisely because they were censored. So uh, there's two of them. I'll, I'll give you the link. Um, I'll, I'll look for it. Just one more point on your question. You asked about nonfiction. <clears throat> Nollywood essentially describes a narrative and fiction film industry. So there are very few documentaries to come out in this um, under this umbrella. That said, there's um, increasing demand for nonfiction documentary uh, on television. And one of the areas that we're pursuing with Franco and with Nollywood workshops is whether um, nonfiction is another storytelling mode that might find its way well, to an audience through Nollywood. Fiction stories that has some non-fiction Right. 
But I mean, I say for 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 Mike and Ethan and I when we first, you know, our, a lot of our thoughts were about that. Is how interesting if you had there's all these amazing there's the kind of creative storytelling that you're already seeing, which is so inspiring to see Nigerians telling Nigerian stories or Africans telling African stories as opposed to Hollywood telling them. Um, but also imagine all of the other kinds of reporting and storytelling of more documentary works that needs to be out there, just to be able to tell the actual things that are happening, not only as stories but also as facts, and how powerful that would be. If you you'd like to think that that might be, so. Great. So just to pick back up on Ivan's question, you asked about co-production from other industries, um, and just in the past handful of years, we're starting to see co-productions from filmmakers in the UK who are interested in partnering with Nigerian filmmakers as well as filmmakers in the US. Um, we haven't seen any Asian investment that I know of, but European, North America, the diaspora audience is starting to invest in co-produce. And this film, Last Light to Abuja, is a great example of that. Um, you'll see in terms of the low budget uh, quality continuum, this film, also successful, was high budget by Nollywood standards, and um, I'll leave the quality determinations up to you. If you only have a few minutes left to live, what would you do? Our determination to survive can often be outweighed by our willingness to accept our fate. I have been authorized by the board to take you, all of you, to Abuja. Abuja! Okay, is everything okay? I'm going to surprise someone. Welcome aboard Flamingo Airways flight 212 to Abuja. Enjoy your flight. I want the same amount from you, or else this babe finish you. You seem to value this your demanding job more than us. But if I miss a spider woman, then I don't know what to do to you. Well, detectives should put another coffee. See you later. Flamingo Airlines Flight 212, we have an emergency. English is a predominant language in Nigeria. Um, when the films are released in local language markets, uh, sometimes they are dubbed into local language. Uh, when you say predominant, so what is you know, is it is it is it the dominant language yes. in Nigeria? Mm -hmm. And so, what's the percentage of people who speak it? I guess I'm one. Well, I'm thinking about people who don't speak English. So, what's the What's the ratio? So Nigerian, Nigeria is an English-speaking country, so uh, it's, that is the language that people learn in school. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Colin, in his intro slide on Nigeria, 
I think mentioned that there are 521 languages spoken in Nigeria. So it's incredibly diverse, but uh, largely thought that English is the overarching language. It's certainly official language of the government, to major newspapers. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not. I mean, that's not done for export mm -hmm. purposes. If that's the question. Right, right, no, I, think, I wasn't asking that question. Just I'm more concerned. Was my concern more was people who don't speak English. Well, they, I mean, you do. So one of the interesting things that has happened with um, with piracy, for example, is that you've seen these films in whatever language they're originally uh, made in, dubbed, not usually subtitled, usually dubbed, um, in all kinds of different languages, right. from you know French, you name the language in West Africa or elsewhere in the, on the continent. So I, I, I don't know if it's the same within Nigeria as much right. within the country. Um, We've also spoken to audience fans who say that. If English isn't a language spoken at home, Nollywood has become an incredible tool to learn English through. There's a statistic, I'm not sure if it's true anymore, but it said that an average kid in Nigeria is more likely to touch a Nollywood DVD in a month than they are a textbook. So the, it, the power of the medium um, is clear. Question? Budget. Um, by their standards, what would that be around? Probably half a million U.S. Okay. dollars. And so the, the challenge, of course, with a film that takes in such significantly more investment is then you have to recoup that investment. And so while the filmmaker would lean on the DVD market um, that Nollywood filmmakers have come to rely on, this film was also released in theaters not only in <coughs> Nigeria but around the U.K. Um, and released online. Um, at this point, where are we? We're 10 past one. There's a, we have a couple more trailers we could show, but also a huge chunk of our presentation. So I think we should. Maybe, let's say they want to see another trailer. Go on? Okay. Yeah. <coughs> so, um, so we've kind of alluded to some of these challenges <coughs> thus far. Um, first, um, the, it's not the, the, if you go back to the origins of Nollywood, it's not really about filmmakers wanting to get their stories out. Um, it's, it's often, it, well, a big part of the story in any case is the, are the marketers and the distributors. In other words, the people who are going to sell product, who are going to sell stuff, not selling art, not selling stories, selling things. At least that's the way it, the story is often told. Um, and so that means they who control these networks, the, 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 um, the physical networks that distribute the physical media, and as Amy said, something like 90% of the revenues come from the physical discs. Um, they have a huge amount of influence over what gets made, how it gets distributed, and indeed, they're huge financiers in all this. They oftentimes will um, put a, they'll, they'll agree to fund a, mill, uh, fund a film, buy it upon completion, a variety of different ways that they kind of control films and how the films are released, to whom they're released, and all the other elements that they're up. So there's a lot of, so if we, we might complain here about the studios, there they complain about the, the marketers uh, and distributors and sort of the, the, the cartel around that. Um, relatedly, as you can hear, and you'll hear a lot of this stuff kind of is, it's, is inter intertwined, hopefully, or at least hopefully sounds intertwined, uh, is that financing is a real challenge. So many of these films, uh, some of them, as I said, are, are financed through the, through the uh, distributors and marketers, but so many of them are financed by individual filmmakers. So TK, Tunde Kalani, if he wants to make a film, he has something in his savings account, he goes to his people, he goes to his aunt, he goes to his whatever, 
and he uh, gets together that $50,000 or $100,000, especially these small amounts, it's really about savings and community and means that uh, you are left with a really constrained budget. And that means typically just enough to make the film and to do kind of an initial run of the physical media and not really enough to do a lot of the other things you might want to do. Like in Hollywood, you're looking at something like half of the, of the money invested in a film goes to marketing and marketing, right? And there's, there, there's really no marketing budget. And indeed, because of the piracy issue, which I'll get into in a second, there's kind of not even necessarily a strong incentive um, to have that kind of um, investment in marketing. Ivan. $500,000. Is there an, do we know what an average is? I mean, how many of the, how many films actually fall into the 500,000 that are made? Maybe 20. 20 tops. So, so it's like an average of 50 to 100. I would say 50 yeah. to 100 is probably more the, the sort of maybe even 40 to 100 is kind of the sweeter spot. And But yeah. it's, I mean, but again, in part because of that funding mechanism that I just described, it's really opaque. Um, the filmmakers don't want to open their books. Um, no, there's no count about the revenues. Um, the financing is sort of off the books, which is to the to the potential financiers, which in other contexts might be venture capital or banks or governments or um, other kinds of folks who are interested in seeing films. They're not willing to to fund things that they can't count, and they're not willing to fund things when they can't see the expenses. So there's sort of a little bit of um, they're kind of at loggerheads in terms of how this is going to how this that that sort of dynamic can be changed. And we're starting to see some films do it. Filmmakers do it differently, which I think is we'll get into in a second. Kind of an industry ziggurat here, where you've got lots of small players making small bets on small films, and then as their <coughs> capital accrues, they stick, they make bigger films, and and you hope they win and prosper, and then you end up having people at the top of this thing who are making most of the films. Uh, is that, well, maybe, yeah, unless there's a sweet spot that says. But is, is that your sense that you end up with a situation where 20% of the people are making 80% of the films, or is it more distributed than that? It might be that 20% of the marketers and distributors are controlling 80% of the right, films. Right, And then you have the select few that are innovating in their distribution, right. innovating in their technical approach, that are making a higher budget film and right. releasing through other means. It sounds like this is probably an industry that was like the early days of Hollywood, where it had a siren call, and people were coming from everywhere bringing a camera with them and hoping to have a go. That's and exactly it, the spirit. Right? Yeah. Which is it's, it's, it's exciting. Sorry. It's important to say that in the early days, the golden era, people were making films for five, ten thousand mm. dollars and making immediate returns. And in the, in the you know at the height, late nineties, early two I mean the first film cost the two thousand the it's anecdotal, but they apparently they didn't spend mm. more than two, three thousand dollars and mm. they sold a million copies. Wow. <laughs> so that obviously yeah. Caught the imagination. I mean, to, to and then the, the margins start getting smaller and smaller, yeah. and this, we are at this point now where. Mm. But there's a sort of an interesting opposite mentality, mm. right? Where Hollywood wants to take a bigger bet, and even if it's only going to pay off at, um, yeah. they're going to double their revenue as opposed to making 10x or 100x. Mm. They'd rather make $100 million than mm. you know, bet on a smaller uh, film. So it's an interesting, I mean, for me, where I began in all this was seeing outside actors. Um, the World Bank and other kinds of international um, kind of governmental organizations and so on wanting to get involved because they recognized how important the industry was for job creation and other you know, sort of things that are kind of nuts and bolts and really being afraid that there was going to be the imposition of a Hollywood type model as opposed to trying to figure out what a Nollywood model looks like, what a, what a unique um, to Nigeria's um, challenges and opportunity um, kind of approach looks like. So 
the, the last piece to talk about here is um, the piracy, and that is first to note that there would not be the Nollywood that we know without pirates, right? Because it is precisely the dynamics we talked about around financing, which made it so that filmmakers would, would only make a run of DVDs for their immediate community, that, that market that they knew and could get stuff to. And there are no marketing, I mean, no real um, kind of uh, 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 vectors to get to a, a broader distribution of those, um, of those VD, uh, DVDs and VCDs. But you saw the pirates come in and not piracy like we practice piracy in the U.S., where we download it and we watch it ourselves, but the same place, perhaps, that is making Amy's uh, VCDs runs an extra 100,000 of them out the other side, you know, out the back door, and they go off in trucks to other markets. And so what you saw was the expansion of the, the genre and the people who were able to see these films. Expanding across Nigeria, pretty neat. Expanding across the continent, which is pretty remarkable if you think about that, and indeed to around the world. Uh, substantially to diaspora, but also to many folks who are not part of the Nigerian diaspora. And then I'll... How important is the online distribution compared to the DVD? It's growing. Uh, so you may, may, may have heard of Oroko TV, kind of dubbed the Netflix for Africa, which has been making a big play in both, especially online distribution, not especially targeted to Nigeria, but kind of more to mm -hmm. diaspora, but will be moving towards Nigeria uh, as connectivity gets better, the power issues, you know, there's still mm -hmm. some kind of barriers there. Um, but I think uh, globally, there's a huge diaspora market and it's being bad, increasingly well served mm -hmm. um, online. Now we don't have the numbers for that. Uh -huh. And the initial, um, you know, so there's um, Europa TV, Real African, um, there's at least Afrinali, I mean, there's, mm -hmm. we'll get into it in a second. There's a, there's a half dozen folks who are doing this. Um, and that seems like the future. Legitimate uh, version of the DVD when it comes to Marvel films. A legitimate version. Legitimate version. Uh, three dollars, three to six dollars, depending on the packaging. Although there's just with now the Oroko new one, right? They're they're doing kind of the Jumia version that's maybe ten dollars. Right. So there might be a. Which is a hard copy that you could order online, but if you're going to a stall and getting a legitimate copy from a vendor, it probably costs you between three and six dollars U.S. Whereas a pirated copy might cost you a dollar U.S., but you're taking a risk on that VCD or DVD that it might um, scratch, it might, uh, the sound might be bad, someone's head might walk by the TV <laughs> that it was filmed on. So um, producers are starting to trust that their most dedicated audience who wants a good copy will pay for the legitimate copy, but that has yet to be seen. How much of that, uh, well, I, I guess the system doesn't work and it pours back to the filmmaker because that the, the distributor is basically taking it all. Right, and so, you know, notwithstanding the great um, marketing and branding power that piracy has had to kind of catapult the industry, filmmakers in Nigeria uh, perceive piracy as a catastrophic issue that, um, isn't being regulated, that they can't um, fight head on, that they, they can't um, out-market the, the piracy rings that have become so uh, excellent at distributing their films. And filmmakers will say that between the time they release their film, there'll be a better copy, pirated version, in two days, saturating the market in a way that their distributor never could. And uh, I'm sorry, the, the distributor's net um, uh, out of that $6, I mean, you've got this, this 
with that to the producer? Depends on the deal between the distributor and the producer. And the equation really is how much did that distributor put up to make the film? So that's why, it's a great segue, that's why we're seeing Nollywood, Nollywood now, filmmakers um, fighting to find other financing streams for their films besides these uh, historical distributors. So luckily, meanwhile, other entities, governments, uh, foundations, brands, are starting to recognize the power of the industry and new, new streams of investment are emerging. And with that, Colin mentioned, and I think you asked about um, online, online is becoming an incredibly important space for the Nigerian filmmaker who is trying to expand distribution beyond DVD. So we see Oroko TV, um, which has become the Netflix of Nollywood. Right now, the, its traffic predominantly comes from a diaspora audience in the US, UK. But uh, as broadband connectivity increases in Nigeria, the, the anticipate that fans will start turning to online to watch their movies. Um, and so we're seeing startups emerge to satisfy that uh, current need and hopefully potential additional need. Um, and with that, it's an exciting time for filmmakers because, because of the existing constraints, they've got to innovate. So we're starting to see filmmakers like Kunle Athalayan pioneer um, product placement, securing investment from brands like Guinness, who recognize Nollywood as a compelling platform to reach an underrepresented audience and an audience that was current, uh, in the past difficult to reach. Um, with this comes a higher production value because the filmmakers have more money up front to use better tools um, and also increase their quality. That enables patience with the distribution. The filmmaker doesn't have to rush to return the investment to the distributor. They get to do what we call a windowed release where they release in the theaters and then online and then can lean into the DVD market. Um, and with that type of distribution strategy, comes these box office-esque numbers, especially from the online market, that allow that filmmaker to go to a financer for the next film and say, now I have uh, proof for my audience. Um, so while I don't think any filmmaker in Nigeria is willing to walk away from the VCD, DVD base that has built the industry, you're seeing that the top filmmakers really start to experiment with how they can preserve the history that's made them so successful and also experiment. And you can hear how that ad addresses some of the challenges they face, right? From the financing to, um, to piracy, when more people see it, that's actually more valuable to Guinness, right? It's as opposed to the 100,000 people, and they don't care who paid for it and who got it for free. That's a sort of a, an increasing returns, but also allowing the windowed release that Amy, cost, uh, Amy described, which means that they're sort of able to capture more revenues uh, from different streams earlier on before they, the doors are really kind of open to piracy. So you see that the digital world allowing all these kinds of new affordances to the, I mean, potentially, to the filmmakers themselves, as which can disintermediate or at least make the, the, um, the distributors and marketers, the other kind of folks in the, in the chain, deliver value in a way that up to now they haven't really had to. And we see that play out in the formal, formal investment, uh, more formalized distribution, and also in the informal, where we have a filmmaker like Tundi Kalani, who's harnessed a vast audience throughout Nigeria, starting to experience experiment with things like crowdfunding, um, uh, crowdsourcing um, cast and crew for his film, 
um, leveraging inexpensive tools, uh, Twitter, Facebook, to promote a film in advance and build a following, using that data to demonstrate to other potential investors that there's already an audience for a film that they're funding, um, and starting to see exciting things happen in this space. There are a couple Eric questions. Eric and Ivan. Um, so as the as the financing begins to change and the budgets go up, I'm curious about the 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 kinds of films that get made and and who gets represented and and the sort of level of progressiveness of these films. I mean, it, is it, it is there now a sort of narrowing range of representations as the industry kind of comes into its comes into itself? It's some of this stuff is so new that that has yet to be seen, but that is. The ultimate question, I think. It's the ultimate creative yes, question. <laughs> <laughs> um, because with outside investment becomes a potential loss of creative control. And what's been so incredible about Nollywood to date is this independent, self-financed, self-reflective um, uh, spirit. And so now that the uh, Additional funding is coming from more formal and often Western sources. Um, some filmmakers might feel pressure to incorporate more Western and um, modern themes into their films. That said, um, this filmmaker Tunde Kalani, who's experimenting um, probably more than anyone we know in terms of alternative distribution and engagement online, is very uh, committed to preserving the Nigerianness of his films, and I think we'll see what happens. I've been so far in distribution. We've talked about physical DVD, and we've talked about internet. But what about television, satellite? I mean, in a lot of countries that I know, cable, especially pirate cable networks, are a massive and very important distribution network for all sorts of the um, video material, film material, and right. a lot of times they'll have a lot, also significant control over finances. There's an interesting history between Nollywood and television. Um, many of Nigerians' best filmmakers come from a television tradition. Um, and legend has it that in the beginning they made a very bad deal. And the amount for which they sold their film to the network was becoming so uh, unsustainable that in the early 2000s they did a boycott. And the entire Nigerian um, film industry uh, refused to sell films to television satellites in Nigeria and South Africa, which are the biggest broadcasters of Nollywood content. Since then they've been trying to uh, sort of reinstate the deal. But in that windowing, because the filmmaker can secure, for now, uh, most of their profit from DVD, then a high-profile theatrical release in one of Nigeria's seven to ten cinemas. Uh, the TV deal usually happens alongside the online deal, which is late in the window. It feels like the diaspora audience is, is a special problem here. On the one hand, presumably, they kind of wallow in a world we have lost nostalgia. So they want a very particular kind of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, they're recipients of the highest standard of Western consumable culture, right? And so they have very high expectations. Presumably, actually, you don't want this uh, tail wagging this industry dog, right, for both those reasons. 
because of the notion you, you just raised, sir, which is, you know, this is the audience that for whom um, big money will go looking, presumably, not least because this is an audience for whom you can, from whom you can capture that return on investment, right? Because you control mm -hmm. the, the, the distribution channels is not, is, it's not pirates, it's, it's well established. And so is there any danger that the diaspora audience will have an undue influence on the creativity of which this industry is capable? I think, yes, there's a danger, and it, that comes back to Eric's question about investment. And there might not necessarily be a link between the investment in the films and then the consumption of the films. It's interesting, when you talk about diaspora fans of classic Nollywood, some talk about it as a sort of, kind of the way you might talk about the Kardashians. Like, a, a lot of people love it, but they don't like to admit that they love it. And then, because of the production value being low, but there being a kind of unmistakable authenticity in the storytelling. Um, some of these breakout hits, like Last Flight to Abuja, that might try to appeal to more of a Hollywood sensibility, have actually turned out to be more popular in the Nigerian market than in the diaspora audience. So there might, it again, it has yet to be seen because it's so early in this experimental phase. But it might um, turn out that it's that Nollywoodness that sells. <coughs> Great question. Yeah, excellent. And I think question. it's. A, I think it's. And just to put a fine point on it, um, we did an event um, for a bunch of Nollywood filmmakers uh, in Atlanta, uh, maybe uh, almost two years ago. And the question on the table was, who are we making movies for? Um, and depending on who you ask, they had a different view. And I don't know that the, what the right, or I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. One of the things that is neat about Nollywood and that you'd like to see preserved is that people make what they want to make for who they want to make it. Um, and so if you could preserve something that has sort of that sort of diversity of content and diversity of creativity and control of the creator to be able to make something that meets the needs of the many different um, interests of the viewers in Nigeria, continent, globally, um, then that seems like a pretty good output. And I think what you see, I mean, I think Amy's uh, point on, on Hollywood is really interesting because people feel like Hollywood, especially, I mean, Hollywood, not New York and independent films so much, but really aren't making films that are genuine. They're kind of missing a, a whole suite of genres that the Nigerian films fill. Mm -hmm. So I think Amy's right really sells. Mm. There is a tremendous desire for Africans in the diaspora to really feel the language, you know, what, and, and hear stories from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, and, and spot not on a nostalgic filter, but no, but also the, there is a very small, uh, I mean, there are very small investors and the film that we documented was financed by a Nigerian living in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of research now on this topic on, on how the diaspora collaborates mm -hmm. in the, and it's, yeah, very much an underground phenomenon, actually. So, so let us parts. Let, let us um, uh, just blast through a, some of the things that we're we're working on now, or and I use this this is the grandest sense of we because we're representing the work of a lot of different folks that we've had the pleasure of working with over the last years um, that that kind of embrace some of these challenges and that try to take them on as a way to kind of segue into just other conversation about what else could be done and what else should be done. Um, did you want to start? Yeah. So I mentioned Nollywood workshops. So one of our big focuses is uh, making technical training available to filmmakers, professional filmmakers who want to uh, leverage film as a as a vehicle. 
So we're doing training both in person and we want to explore online training. Um, we're also working on producing films that harness new strategies for distribution and also new tools for audience engagement. Um, and one of the coolest umbrellas for that project is something called GIST, which is going to empower filmmakers who want to use their film as a vehicle for public health or other social information uh, <coughs> while preserving the power of entertainment and a great narrative. But we believe that Nollywood offers a tool to connect to, like we said before, an often underrepresented audience, and that through a film, it opens up this whole host of possibilities to really connect and engage with an audience, spark dialogue towards uh, positive change. Uh, and this lines up really well with things that filmmakers are excited to experiment with in new distribution and uh, new audience engagement that can help keep their industry afloat. So we're pioneering some of these methodologies through some through films and, and and you can see where so if you're um, if you want to kind of uh, so in the in the United States participant media which some of you will be familiar with um, contributes to lots of sort of social issue films everything from I don't know Lincoln to um, uh, um, fast food nation right so a wide range of documentaries and dramatic pictures that are going to have some sort of um, uh, so waiting for Superman another great example they're going to have some sort of a social impact but at the same time really telling a story, right? And the idea here that nobody sees documentaries, we know that, uh, they preach the converted, whereas if you take on, if you deliver a socially engaging film that also deals with important issues, that just makes it that much more engaging, right? Um, and so as we think about that, we think, huh, it's interesting because you want to be able to follow up with these folks. You want to be able to get them health information or you want to be able to get them whatever you want to get them, which is the same sort of challenge that, um, um, that profit-oriented Filmmakers, actors, uh, directors uh, have as well, right? They want to. If you're putting out a thousand or fifteen hundred films a year, you need to be able to correct, connect directly to your audience in a way that develops an ongoing relationship, so that you don't have to use, you know, marketing to reach them. They just know when your film is coming out. So you can see, uh, similarly in the in business models and just a, a variety of these different fronts, where um, uh, kind of do-gooder issues are very similar or exactly the same, in fact, as. Um, what you might want to, what you would see in kind of a purely profit-oriented um, um, uh, filmmaker. And I think one of the things that's um, interesting is uh, sort of how <clears throat> how these innovations are happening right now. How the uh, digital technologies are really just becoming available. You have about 50% mobile penetration in Nigeria, so that's just a huge, uh, huge force. And the name recognition of, these, of the of the actors and filmmakers is tremendous. So it really does present this opportunity to bring together all these kinds of changes. There's a recognition that they need change in the industry to do it in a way that, as Eric noted, the, uh, financing may increase, but that goal is not to really end up with $5 million pictures. The goal is to say, can you have a better, a higher quality picture um, for roughly the same amount of money, but that would allow you to do proper marketing? It would allow you to have it screened in theaters because you have better sound and better light and allow you to in, sort of kind of preserving the aesthetic in some ways, but doing it a little bit more in the way that they might like to do it. And that's kind of the way we've been taking this on. So really trying to think about how do we collectively um, participate in that exploration process that um, allows filmmakers to generate those new business models, to come up with new ways to engage our audience, to tell, their, to tell the stories that they want to tell, and to kind of recast uh, new Nollywood as taking the best of old, old Nollywood, but sort of casting off the rest. 
have nothing to add to Colin's <laughs> gift of eloquence and so gracefully summing up our presentation because I think we're at the end of our time here. So we would love to show you more trailers and tell you more about our work. Hopefully this can be an ongoing conversation with any of you who are interested in the Nigerian film industry and what it might mean for other creative industries around the world. Um, I think we can take one or two well, we more minutes. questions. We have ten yeah. We're okay. So let's open it up to questions, comments. Hey, Dark Wayne. Um, I've, I've been attracted to the Nollywood story for a long time because I'm just really fascinated by grassroots media and so forth. And this kind of transition is, is really interesting. But I wonder if you could say something about to what extent it continues as a grassroots practice, to what extent there are still very small-scale things happening, and how those fit into the picture. The industry remains small-scale and grassroots. Um, Although it's difficult for us to capture whether the 1,500 films per year is still realistic, we know that every week um, independent filmmakers are uh, self-financing and producing films that go straight to DVD and they recoup enough of their cost and investment that they're able to go back out there the next month and do it again. I Just a example of film Confusion Nawa, which is one to keep an eye out. I, it's been quoted that it was produced for under $30,000, and it's releasing in the cinema. It was shot with the Canon 5D, um, edited on a laptop with a small crew. It looks great. It sounds great. It's a dynamic story that um, I think is true to the tradition of Nollywood, and it's an example of how some of these uh, available, low-cost, or at least affordable technologies uh, preserve the original grassroots independent Nollywood and maybe take it to the next level in so much so that the films can be distributed online because they sound good enough or can be distributed in theaters because the uh, aspect ratio works but it's still that that Nollywood that's the story. I want to hear from you let me just add one little teeny bit so this uh, earlier this year maybe February I went from a Bollywood like the canonical Bollywood conference um, where you know India has something like 10,000 screens, has a you know billion, couple billion dollar, I mean a m monster industry, right? Produces more films than Hollywood, and also second most revenue in the world. Big established industry that they call about 100 years old, um, and uh, it is also, um, I, I think, widely characterized by the filmmakers themselves as a fearful industry, mm -hmm. one where they're afraid to push the envelope, one that they're where there's it's fear on all sides. It's the filmmakers. It's the studios, it's the censors, it's the, um, the, the cinemas, and it's the government. So basically everyone, there's a sort of a climate of fear and of not really pushing the envelope there, even as they're seeing Indian stories like Life of Pi being told on the big screen, but by non-Indian filmmakers. Um, and I couldn't help but, as so I went from that to uh, Nollywood, and it was, it was just remarkable. So you have everything, everything in, in, uh, in India um, in terms of the distribution system, satellite distribution and um, studios and all the post-production, all the kind of stuff you want, capital, huge market internally and globally, um, you own the genre. And I couldn't help but feel that it was oppressive and that it was, and that everyone who was a filmmaker, their dad or their mom or their uncle or their someone, where it was just a really kind of insular industry mm -hmm. where it didn't feel like the Wild West, anybody could do it. And then you go to Nigeria where there's nothing, really nothing. Anybody can do it in some sense. I mean, really, I think it's true. Anybody can do it. Um, but you have to do it from nothing. So for the scrappy type who's willing to figure that out and be not just a filmmaker, but do the, mm -hmm. the kickstart and do the, and do the, and, and really innovate and kind of roll with it, 
opportunity is clearly there, and I think that's terrific and exciting. That said, they still there's a long way to travel, and I think that's the challenge now is to see how quickly they can they can travel that distance, yeah. and how quickly other uh, other countries and other filmmaking communities are going to learn, right, and what they're going to adopt because they could certainly um, go faster and further. Um, sorry. Just a quick question: To what extent do you think this is a phenomenon of the fact that if we can believe the internet, uh, broadband penetration in Nigeria is four to six percent? So that if there was more broadband and there were more films online and they'd be pirated online, there's a revenue stream because so few people have broadband and so many people are buying the DVDs. I've never, I don't know about 46%. 4 to 6%. Oh, 4 to 6%. Okay. Yeah, so 5%. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there is going to be, there, there are pipes coming and there's mm -hmm. going to be better broadband there for sure. But there's still the power issue that we heard about earlier, right? So there's still a lot of barriers in Nigeria um, to to distribution in that kind of way. I mean, questions? Yeah, that there are lessons to learn from Nigeria back to places like the U.S. or Europe, uh, and that one one uh, thing that might be possible would be to flip the, the training paradigm and, and say, take 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 young filmmakers, uh, would-be filmmakers in the U.S. Charge them five thousand dollars per head and, and apprentice them to, to some of these folks and use it as a revenue stream. Absolutely. I mean, I can speak to that personally yes. as somebody learning what it meant to be a filmmaker. On one of my first film experiences in Nigeria, it's like everything I needed to know about the fearlessness of being an independent filmmaker. I learned from Nollywood. You know, have a devout commitment to telling your story. Be fearless about what's possible or not. Use the available tools. Lean into your friends. Um, work really hard and make it happen against all odds. And I think that's an important story for any filmmaker or creative person around the world. And when we bring um, filmmakers from other industries like Hollywood or South Africa or uh, to teach in Nollywood, they end up saying that they learn just as much from their counterparts and uh, collaborators in Nollywood as they taught, and we see a lot of co-productions that emerge from those trainings. Are you guys going to invest in the Nigerian film industry? <laughs> yes. Start making we actually, I, I'm already the executive producer of the movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I would say. Um, Doing a, a, a movie with zero budget is the most expensive way to do a movie. I would not recommend it. Um, but we had um, we, you know, a whole bunch of Nigerian filmmakers over for a conference, and they agreed to make a movie. So um, we did it on the cheap with the using the um, the diaspora and kind of the Georgia Tech community in Atlanta, who just showed up to make on to make this movie for over a course of about a week, and then um, did some more shooting uh, in Nigeria on the back end. It was, uh, as Amy said, hugely uh, interesting, challenging, whatever. It was a little hard for them to do it out of uh, their kind of regular location where they had all their friends and equipment and so on. But it was hugely educational and fun. And having it done that once, you can see where there's a lot of value to be created. And you know, I'd love to harness some of the things that we've talked about to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and really do some of this. I think that's what Amy's really working on now. Right. That's something that we're really passionate about right now. And it's a Part of our program with Nollywood Workshops is to see if we can find investment from foundations, um, funders who care about specific issues that could be integrated into a film in a meaningful way um, and, and finance that film. Also, I'm going to take this opportunity to make a plug. 
if any of you feel like investing in a Nigerian film, we have here uh, Dazzling Mirage, an upcoming feature film by uh, Tunde Kalani. It's a love story, a drama, but also a film that's trying to shift attitudes about sickle cell anemia in Nigeria. Um, Tunde is 75% through his production and ran out of money and thought, well, I've got this audience, I've got these fans all around the world, maybe they can help me finish my movie. So he's counting on us and you to help him tell his story and to demonstrate that a tool like Indiegogo can be useful and successful for uh, Nigerian filmmakers, because I believe he's the first Nigerian filmmaker to crowdsource online. And to be clear, he's a friend, but this was not our recommendation. You figured this out all yourself. Is there anybody on Kiva? Kiva. At, on Kiva.org. Okay. We can do the micro lending. No, I haven't, I haven't seen uh, any Nigerian films on Kiva. There are, are barriers um, to some of these crowdfunding platforms where sometimes you need to have either an American host or a bank account to be able to set to be the recipient of the films. So those are some of the things that need to be worked out. And um, anyway, it's a good question. And definitely uh, terrain to be explored. Is there another Any question? Any final questions, comments, suggestions, observations, protestations? I would like to hear more about can you, is how, where is that in the design process? Um, just about to launch in November. So GIST is a program of Nollywood Workshops and also Hollywood Health and Society at the Norman Lear Center at University of Southern California, funded through the Gates Foundation. And the idea is to power filmmakers who seek to use their medium as um, a vehicle for public health information. So in our pilot mode, we'll be producing three films, all towards influencing uh, attitudes and behaviors in a measurable way. And also we're setting up a resource center for any filmmaker who has a public health storyline in their film that they want to uh, vet with doctors or public health experts who will then read the script and make sure that what's being put out there in an entertaining form is also factually accurate. And that's going to be a free source services for filmmakers who um, just see it as a you know personal commitment or see some incentive in telling these stories in an entertaining way. Does it come with funding for the filmmakers or? Exactly, yeah, yeah the, the idea is to um, fund the filmmakers through a fellowship program um, and the, the belief from our team and also luckily and kind of creatively our funders is that entertainment should go first. So the goal isn't to make pedantic NGO films that look like an outside message being infiltrated into a film. The goal is to uh, work with filmmakers who have a personal story to tell, want to tell it in their own way, and use it to engage with the audience in a meaningful way on an issue that they care about. Yeah, and we love your, your help. And that's one of the great things about these um, lunch conversations is we're interested in storytelling. We're also interested in audience engagement. And it, I think in the past, demonstrating the link between media and fiction and uh, attitudinal or behavioral outcomes has been a cha has been challenging terrain. And we're excited um, 
about how we can leverage some of these new tools, cell phones, mobile, SMS, um, to get some new data and also pioneer some new ways of connecting with an audience. And I know that's an area where you have lots of insight. <laughs> <laughs> so on that exciting note, Amy will be back to check in on that soon, I'm sure. Yes. Um, please join me in thanking Amy and thanks all of you. We should say that this work, this conversation, hopefully reflects the work of a number of awesome collaborators in this space um, that are listed here. Also, thank you to Franco for being a, a, certainly a spark for me in this interest in Nollywood, and um, thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.